Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Heath Cummings here with Scott White. We've got one more baseball podcast without Adam Azer. That's right. He's back next week, and I cannot wait, Scott. Did you say welcome back to the podcast? Yeah, yeah. To welcome start back. the podcast? Yeah, they listened to the podcast. Now, welcome back. We're back. We weren't okay. here yesterday. We've been gone for a day. Okay. Just that, immediately. That, that's how you want to spin it. That, that's fine. This is, I want you to do this to Adam from now on. Like we did it to Adam over his outros. And so you've just decided to do this with every one of my intros. I mean, coming up today, we've got Scott White giving me a hard time. News and notes, including we'll talk about A.J. Pollock with the Dodgers and what that means for them. We're going to review our head-to-head mock draft. We'll talk about runs and whip in categories leagues. And we're going to riff on some players, Scott. But before we do that, we've got to do your favorite thing that we ever do on the podcast. And that's a rankings dispute. Rankings dispute. Ian Desmond in Roto. Scott, you have him as your number 15 first baseman, number 43 outfielder. I do not like Ian Desmond at all. I've got him number 21 at first base, number 63 in the outfield. 2018, he hit 236 with 20 home runs, 82 runs, 88 RBI, 20 stolen bases. Why do you love Ian Desmond? <laughs> I had to, I had to double check to make sure I actually had him 15. Uh, because that does sound high to me too. It's it more has to do, I think, with the state of first base, which after catcher and second base may be the weakest position in 2019, which is mind blowing given its history. It's always one of the deepest positions, uh, but that's where we are right now at first base. I think in roto, you could make the case to invest a mid to late round pick in him. Just because, I mean, he was a 2020 guy last year, and they're so rare. I don't have a lot of confidence he's going to be that again because he's such an extreme ground ball hitter. And the power, predictably, kind of dried up on him in the second half last year. Yeah, 62% ground ball rate, which is just absolutely absurd. Only a 16% line drive rate. That leaves 21% for fly balls. He did have a 24.7% home run to fly ball ratio, which he will not repeat this year. I feel very confident in saying that. And he's getting up there in age, I think, 33 years old now. So I do get a little concerned that the stolen bases maybe come down to 15. I would be shocked if he hits 20 home runs again. Yeah, and we're we're all kind of just waiting on the day he loses his job to any of the many infielders, young infielders the Rockies have coming up through the system. But like I was saying... I mean, who do I have ranked directly behind him? Jose Martinez, who doesn't have a full-time job in St. Louis. Carlos Santana, who's always a bad batting average source and therefore not great in the Roto format. I obviously have Santana higher in points leagues. Luke Voigt, who you don't like. Tyler White, whose playing time is up in the air. I mean, this is just where we are at first base. I do think that leads to another interesting discussion, and we can talk about that a little more in our mock draft review. But... Per consensus ADP, there's not a first baseman going in the first round of most drafts. 
Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt are second round guys. We always in the past have had like six or seven first basemen <laughs> going in the first round, and it was a, a really deep position. Not always six or seven, but, but I get your point. We've a five, four to five. Um, it seems to me just looking at this and, and value based drafting is something we talk about on the football podcast a lot. If there are not 15 good first basemen, I'm not sure there are 13 good first basemen. Guys like Freeman and Goldschmidt should be pushed up in drafts a little bit. Yeah, I've actually had that thought. No, not so much pushing them up in drafts. Like I, I don't, I don't think we're going to see Goldschmidt start going in the first round. But I have had the thought that maybe I do need to emphasize him in in the second round. Um, emphasize, you know, maybe like a Whit Merrifield in the third or fourth round because I talked about how second base is maybe even shallower. You know, last year was kind of the position of the, the year of no position scarcity. And I think maybe position scarcity is coming back a little between first base and second base. Either that or this year, first base will just be a lot better than we expected it to be. Cause that's kind of what happened last yeah. year. The bad positions were just good. Our second rankings dispute. And this one, I think maybe a little bit of a come together moment, Scott, you, you moving him up, me moving him down. We, we just come together on Kenta Maeda he is in points leagues. He is your number 61 starting pitcher. You are number 19 relief pitcher. I've got him 35th starting pitcher, 8th at relief pitcher. 2018, he went 8 and 10, which is obviously terrible. 3.81 ERA, 1.26 whip, made 20 starts. His ERA and whip were really pretty similar as a starter. His strikeouts went up out of the bullpen, as you would expect, but he still had 10.6 strikeouts per nine as a starting pitcher. The record part was just unlucky. He should have won more games with the way he pitched on the team that he was on. He is going to start the year in the rotation, in my opinion, as the number two Sparp. I understand some people might like Glass now better. I would expect he's going to stay in the rotation for the first half of the season and be a top 10 RPL eligible pitcher. Yeah, for the first half of the season. And maybe even a month after that. Right. I, I was going to say Kenta Maeda is a four-month pitcher because... The but Dodgers, he's a good pitcher. Yeah, he's a good pitcher. I, I don't have I don't have a problem with the skills, um, but it's it's in the Dodgers' best interest financially to move him to the bullpen because of the way his contract is structured uh, around late July, early August, which we saw last year. And given the surplus of arms they have, I mean, we're we're struggling right now to find. To see a way that Ross Stripling and Julio Arias gets in the rotation, and then there's arms that they'll want to work in even beyond that. Uh, it just it just makes sense that's where he's ultimately going to wind up. So you know, if you're drafting uh, from the perspective of I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, maybe he is more like a top forty pitcher. Where do you have him? Thirty five. Thirty five. Yeah. So maybe he is more like a top forty pitcher, but. Um, I just, I wouldn't want to get the rug pulled out from under me at that point. And I, there are 60 other pitchers I like enough to, uh, that I'd rather just not worry about. There were really only two guys, and you've talked about this before. You get past the top 25 starting pitchers and you can almost jumble a lot of those guys up and we'll just see who has the better Babip year or something or who gets the most wins. But there were two guys that I thought were interesting that you had ahead of Maeda. One was Rich Hill, a guy on his own team who probably isn't going to make 30 starts either. The difference is we don't necessarily know when he's going to miss time. 
Yeah, there. And then Jimmy I, I, Nelson yeah. was the other one. Okay, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're probably closer in your ranking as to where Kenta Maeda is going to finish the year in total points, as opposed to impact when he is a starter. Right. Maybe but that's it's a philosophical thing. Let's get to the news and notes. Maybe I'll move Kenta Maeda down a few spots. AJ Pollock signed with the Dodgers. We've got action. Four years, $55 million. Unfortunately, they've not traded anyone yet. They once again have too many players. Is this an upgrade, a downgrade, or are you just leaving A.J. Pollock where you had him in your rankings? I'm leaving him where I had him. I, I, I've been a little... Um, I've grown disenchanted with A.J. Pollock over the last couple years because... The things that made him great before all the elbow troubles started, um, you know, in his Diamondbacks days, were, were basically he hit for average and he stole bases. And, oh, yeah, there was some pop, too. Kind of sold out for power at the expense of everything else last year. And that's just not what we need, particularly in this current offensive environment. Um, the Dodgers are really good at mining data to get the best out of players, and I think the best version of Pollock could still be super valuable in fantasy. So there is some kind of optimism um, that I feel seeing where he wound up, but not enough for me to really change my rankings. Yeah, I think I, I feel optimism and pessimism. I'm happy that he ended up on the Dodgers. It's a very, it should be a good offense. I am concerned about playing time. Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned less for him because it doesn't really make sense. You know, he's a right-handed hitter, obviously. It I doesn't just, really make sense righties versus lefties. I'm just worried about how it impacts others. I'm worried about his injury history and the Dodgers' um, past use of the disabled list. And they're hopefully they trade Jock Peterson to a team that wants to play Jock Peterson 150 games. And we don't necessarily have to worry quite as much about it. But they, <laughs> they have a lot of different options. I mean, Enrique Hernandez. Yes. Well, I... Yeah, Enrique Hernandez. And, and actually, Jock Peterson, I, I, th- he was so bad against left-handers last year. I'm not sure that he, I'm not sure that I'd want him playing every day for anybody. It's more, it's more Max Muncie that worries me. And there's still a clear path for Muncie to play every day. Did you quote tweet a Dodgers beat writer's guess at the lineup and t- call the Dodgers cowards? I did. <laughs> I, I mean, but it, it's a, it's a justified fear because, while he played, when he took off last year, he was playing every day. Um, you know, was in the home run derby, came pretty close to winning it, as, as I recall, and was clearly the Dodgers' best hitter through that point of the season. Then they got Man- Manny Machado, Brian Dozier around the trade deadline, and that gave them enough options that they could push Muncie to the bench against left-handers, and they pretty much did throughout the second half. Well, what was crazy about that is, his numbers at the time were actually better against left-handers than right-handers. Now, they didn't end up there, but they still ended up very good, like an 850-ish OPS against left-handed pitchers. He was fine against lefties. That and, and given how productive he is in terms of getting on base and hitting for power, I mean, he's elite at both. This is maybe a Lance Berkman-level hitter we're talking about here. And uh, they, they sat him against lefties anyway. I don't want that to happen again. There's no reason for it. And, um, you know, if, if 
if they're hap- if they're comfortable playing Cody Bellinger in the outfield consistently and having Chris Taylor in the lineup consistently, there there doesn't need to it doesn't need to happen. But that would mean, of course, Alex Verdugo doesn't get a chance. And uh, you know, I I honestly don't know how committed they are to giving him a chance. Carlos Correa told reporters on Thursday that his back is in perfect condition, and I. We're going to hear a lot of things from a lot of players about their conditioning over the next month. I'm, we're not going to talk about very many of them. But I did bring up Correa because I noticed in our rankings and in our mock draft, he went lower than I expected. He's my number five shortstop. He's your number seven shortstop. The main difference here is you have Story and Javi Baez ahead of him. I have Correa ahead of Story and Baez. Is part of that your concern over his core injuries of the past? Yeah, I'm not... Totally sure he is going to bounce back and be elite level Correa again. I mean, elite level Correa was a first round pick, so uh, obviously not. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I mean, obviously Story and Baez were both monsters last year. I actually have Baez on my bust list, but um, you know, I I I can't bring myself to rank him quite that low. I think I have him lower than the consensus. In our, well, that's always something you want to check on. But <laughs> Right. In our points league draft, Story went with the ninth pick of the third round. Javi Baez went with the tenth pick of the third round, which I thought was a little bit high. But he is second base eligible, so that really changes everything. And then Correa went with the fifth pick of the fourth round to me. And I was thrilled to get him there. It's a little early. for Like, I would... I, I actually feel a little more comfortable with... Corey Seager rebounding from his situation, Tommy John surgery, uh, which obviously, you know, it's, 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 it's a major thing. You miss a whole year for it, but, um, really reliable in terms of knowing what to expect. And, uh, for a hitter, Seager's actually had more time than a lot get to come back from that injury. So I, I, I rank him lower than Correa, but, if if we're to that stage of the rankings, I think I'd just wait a little longer and, and take Seeger personally, even knowing that his best in the majors hasn't been quite as good as Correa's best. I mean, it's still been really good. Nicholas Castellanos' agent said he prefers to be traded before camp opens. Do you have any care about where Castellanos goes or any hope about where he goes? I guess the Padres are one option. Yeah, but we don't want them with any more <laughs> outfielders. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't really care that much. I mean, his, what makes him good is a lot of, he hits a lot of line drives, uh, so he can have a high BAPIP. Uh, obviously I wouldn't want to, to go to a place like San Francisco that where you worry about it completely ruining his power. But, uh, beyond that, I don't, I don't care too much where he winds up. Speaking of San Francisco, the Mariners signed Hunter Strickland. Sounds like he's going to compete with Anthony Swarzak for the closer's role in Seattle. These guys are probably only going to be really relevant in Roto Leagues. We're not going to be interested in either one of them in points, right? Probably not. It depends how firmly one of them takes that job and how uh, how um, wishy-washy, I guess, other managers are. Because that's... That's something I think we're going to see more of in 2019 is is more by committee. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Approaches to the ninth inning. And and so, you know, if you got straight like a full time closer on a bad team, still probably going to get 30 saves. And I don't know that anybody on the Brewers is going to get 30 saves, even though they have three better relievers than 
far better relievers than anybody in the Mariners' bullpen. The Cubs signed Brad Brock. You do have to wonder if he's going to get early season chances at saves in Chicago with Brandon Morrow not being ready for the start of the season. I really think Pedro Strope's going to just claim pretty much all the saves there. That's how it worked in the second half last year. And I think he's good enough that he could maybe just keep the job all year. I think he's kind of a sleeper, actually. We will get into our head-to-head mock draft review right after this message. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Okay, so we did our head-to-head mock draft review. We're not going to go through this like we have some of our mock drafts in the past or like we probably will some of our mock drafts in the future with a round-by-round view of every single pick. We will go over the first round. Then we're going to talk about Scott's team. We'll talk about my team. And then we'll go over kind of just some interesting picks from... The first 10 rounds, let's say. So first overall, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, Max Scherzer, then Mookie Betts, then Mike Trout. And I would just like to point out that I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> I was not one of those first. Well, three. who took Mookie Betts? That was George Maselli. Who edits most of our work. Have you written anything? I've about? written nothing about okay. Mookie Betts right. versus Mike Trout. He, he is also a Red Sox homer. Well, that's true. That's, that's fair. Jose Ramirez went fourth. Francisco Lindor went fifth. Nolan Arenado went sixth. J.D. Martinez seventh to Scott White. I took Jose Altuve eighth. Aaron Judge went ninth. Christian Yelich tenth overall. Alex Bregman eleventh. And Chris Sale at twelfth. Other than the first three picks, which we'll talk about in a little bit, anything else from that first round really stand out to you? I would do my pick over again. Um, really? And, and part of it's because having witnessed the way this draft played out and uh, what we we're talking about at the top of the show, where I feel like maybe position scarcity is making a bit of a comeback. Um, I think I began this draft with J.D. Martinez, and my second pick was Manny Machado. Yep. Okay, this is kind of going off on a tangent from what I was saying, but one one thing I noticed um, is, is that... Uh, 
you know, with, with Correa and Seeger and all of them being pushed down in the shortstop rankings in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, my rankings kept saying I need to take a shortstop. Oh, well, I'd already taken Manny Machado. Um, so trying to tie this all together here, Jose Altuve is probably who I should have taken in the first round. So I won the first round. Uh, maybe, yeah. And Paul <laughs> Goldschmidt, I, I would have, if I had it to do over again, and I, I know the picks lined up this way that I could have done it, I would have gone Altuve and Goldschmidt, filled those two weak positions with the very best players there, and then, uh, figured out shortstop and, and certainly outfield, uh, later in the draft. Cause I mean, I, I, I need to move Altuve up is partly what I'm saying here. Um, because the more I look at it, the more it seems obvious to me that the drop off in, Everything, but especially stolen bases, had to do with him playing with a fractured kneecap in the second half, and the Astros just not letting anybody know about it. Right. Yeah, I started with Altuve, Freddie Freeman. So I took Freeman instead of Goldschmidt, but I was still very happy to get those two weaker positions covered early in the draft. Let's start with your team, Scott. You've got JT Realmuto at catcher, Jose Abreu, Daniel Murphy, Justin Turner, Manny Machado along the infield. That is a still a very good infield. Your outfield, J.D. Martinez, A.J. Pollock, and Fran Mel Reyes. Travis Shaw at Utility. I hate your guts. <laughs> your starting pitchers, Noah Syndergaard, Zach Greinke, Hugh Darvish, Rick Porcello, Alex Reyes. You get Wade Davis and Jose Leclerc as your relievers. And your bench, Luke Voigt, Nick Markakis, you homer, Kyle Gibson, Marco Gonzalez, and Joe Musgrove. And when I looked at your team, my, my first question that came to my mind was, how do you feel about your rotation after Cindergard and Grinky? Uh, not good. Not good. I mean, I like the upside of Reyes. I, um, uh, who else was there? Porcello. I mean, I think it's a good format for Porcello. I think he's a guy I'm going to mix into my lineup basically every time he's making two starts. Right. He's uh, not a, but he's not a must start pitcher on a one start week. There are times he is, but it's the right matchup, yeah. But toward the end of last season, like for most of last season, I think he was, but then he kind of faded at the end. And I, I don't know that you can count on that going into this year. No. So, uh, I mean, I have Joe Musgrove on my sleeper list. I like him, but I, yeah. I, I'd rather have him as, what do I have him as my sixth guy? I'd rather have him as more like my eighth guy. Right. Um, so it's, I'm a little, I'm a little unhappy with it. Uh, I'm a little unhappy with Cindergard as my number two because I I just don't feel comfortable he's going to hold up for a full season. So I'm not. I mean, what do you think of my team? I I think it's a it's a good team. You've got upside at starting pitcher with Reyes, and I think you have upside that people don't view you Darvish as an upside starting pitcher. But where he's going to go in drafts this year, I think there is upside because he could very easily turn back into a top twenty starting pitcher. Um, I don't like Rick Porcello. I don't like your bench starting pitchers just because I think it's possible there are guys like Kyle Gibson and Marco Gonzalez that you can just find. And I, yeah, as, as no, I didn't like that either, but yeah. we, we kind of got to that. Everybody went pretty heavy on starting there. The, the guy who picked Max Scherzer number one overall, I don't know if we are going to get back to that, but, um, we are. He, he took a starting pitcher with each of his first five or six picks. It was uh it was extremely pitcher heavy. In this the track, first yeah. hitter he took was Yasiel Puig. So <laughs> and, and I think Puig we're gonna talk about Puig later in the show. I think he's a really interesting guy for this year. What was your favorite pick in this draft? 
My favorite pick was probably Granky, uh, which probably doesn't excite you. It may not excite a lot of listeners out there, but I just feel so safe with him. Oh, yeah. He's this secure. format especially. And after making Cindergard my number two pitcher, I, I felt like I needed him. I was sweating it as it came back to me. I was relieved he was still there. That was round four, I believe. Cindergard's your number one pitcher. Cindergard's my one. Okay, so that's even worse. Yeah. Grinky's your two. Grinky's my two, and who's my three? Uh, that's the question, I think, going into this year. It, it could be you, Darvish. Yeah, that's who I drafted three. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I feel like I'm missing another good pitcher there, uh, particularly for this format, to feel good about my chances. And I'm not confident my offense it looks stout enough to I think it's make very up for good. It. I think it's above average offense. Yeah. I don't think my pitching staff is a problem, but I think my offense is really good. One one last question. So your biggest regret is just the pitching staff, is that right? Or is it that one two turn? I'm trying to open up the results here to give a more complete take on it because I had them open, but then I lost it for some reason. I'm thinking how I wish I had started this draft was Altuve 1, Goldschmidt 2, which still would have had me taking Syndergaard 3 because I obviously decided at that point right. in the draft he was the best pitcher to take. Granky 4. Uh, round 5, what did I end you up You took doing? Real Muto. I took Clevenger at, right after that, and Herman Marquez went right after that. So we were beyond that. There, there's a drop off for me there, like to the point where you're drafting Clevenger and Marquez. Yes, which is probably why I didn't take a pitcher and went with Real Muto instead. I was I didn't have a starting pitcher at that point, and yeah. I was planning on taking Gary Sanchez, and yeah. then I was planning on taking JT Real Muto, and they went with the two picks right before me, and I decided I probably shouldn't wait any longer to get my first pitcher. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because Real Muto is a really interesting case. I am kind of coming around to the idea that he's going to be... I mean, he was already the obvious number one catcher in fantasy last year. But he he might be an even bigger stud if he gets out of Miami. Because his home away splits last year and especially throughout his career have so favored him on the road. That's obviously a tough park to hit in. We saw the impact. It... uh it made for Yelich getting out of there last year. Um, so I'm hoping he gets traded, and I think he'll definitely live up to the fifth-round price tag if he does. But that may have been my chance to get have a more uh, comfortable situation pitching-wise. I'm looking at the next round, round six. Guys like Jose Barrios went, David Price. Uh, when did Tyone go? Because he's somebody I'm looking at in that same range. He went, uh, I, he went in the very next round. Yeah, I mean... Maybe round six was the time to do it. But one of those picks probably should have gone to another pitcher, and then I'd feel a lot better about how my staff looked. Well, let's talk about my team. I am extremely happy with my offense, but uh, then it may go downhill. I've got Buster Posey as my catcher, and he was the seventh or eighth catcher off the board. Freddie Freeman at first base. Jose Altuve at second base. My my weakness is third with Matt Chapman, Carlos Correa at shortstop, my outfield, Andrew Benintendi, Michael Brantley, and Justin Upton, and Jake Bowers is my utility. Then you get to the pitching staff, and I've got a lot of number three starters, I feel like, maybe number four starters. Mike Clevenger, 
Jose Barrios, Zach Godley, Dallas Keuchel, Yusei Kikuchi. Did I get that right? <laughs> you have no idea. Great. No idea. My relievers are Roberto Ozuna and Tyler Glass now. And then I knew my pitching staff was awful. And so all of my bench is my pitching staff, our pitchers. Luke Weaver, Mike Soroka, Brent Honeywell, Danny Duffy, and Vince Velasquez. Can you win with this pitching staff? I think you 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 can, sure. Uh, I mean, you're you're hoping Clevenger doesn't regress. Yeah, you're hoping uh, Keuchel is good. Keuchel. Um, we don't even know where he's going to be pitching. You you can absolutely win this way. It's just um, you're you're leaving yourself vulnerable to having to build a pitching staff on the fly, which used to be a tried and true strategy that used to be my strategy and i had a lot of success with it but um it's much harder to do these days because you're not going to find a surprise ace on the waiver wire you know those they used to spring up every year they don't anymore because their teams are so careful with innings even if a guy is dominating he's going to be on a short leash. And every time I would, like, I, I do feel like I have some upside with Weaver, Soroka, and Honeywell on the bench that one of those guys could give me a couple of months of really good performance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the bounce back potential for Weaver is a little bit underrated, but every, like all the guys that I really wanted to get, Jesus Luzardo, um, Josh James, all those guys I just kept missing. And that was, that was a really frustrating experience. My, my favorite, pick in this draft honestly it's probably Correa because I do think that there's still like if he let's just take what he said at face value that his back's just fine now and he's Carlos Correa again that's uh, late first early second in the fourth round I, I mean yeah it is sure and there's a little bit of risk there but I also think, like, I worry a lot about core injuries that happen in spring training. I worry a lot about core injuries that happen during the season because guys don't usually give themselves enough time to recover from those. But he's had an entire off season to, to get right. I, yeah, he has. I, I mean, it's, I, I, it's kind of the same spot Chris Bryant's in, and I'm not totally comfortable investing in him because of it was this, shoulder issue that um, didn't get the clearest diagnosis and just kind of bothered him all year and didn't have any kind of surgery to correct it. He's just supposed to rest up and get better, and maybe he has, and maybe he'll be back back to normal. But I, those nagging injuries, and, and it's, it's a core thing you're saying. It's not back, or was it a core that led to the back? I think it was a core that led to the back. Back issues are especially concerning they, to me. They they are they are more concerning to me the older a player is. Yeah, but th- no, there is there's he's not safe. But that's also part of the reason why he's available in the fourth or fifth round of drafts. Yeah, I mean it may be like I that's when did Corey Seager go? He went round seven, I think so. And did Xander Bogart? Xander Bogarts went later. Who was? I mean, Xander Bogarts was a stud by any measure last year, especially in this format. Xander Bogarts went in the fifth round. 
I just think there are so many alternatives. I mean, I think to the, to the way Clayton Kershaw's back troubles began. I mean, he's never going to be the same again, I think it's fair to say now. And it started because he slept wrong on a flight from Japan, right? I yeah. mean, like... Um, no, there, there's reason to be concerned. Uh, my my biggest regret, was, and this is something I think that is just universal to all drafts that you're in, there were multiple times where I knew I was higher on a guy than the industry and thought I could wait one more round and missed him. Yeah. And just don't. like You have to do that a little bit if you're a lot higher than everybody else on them, but don't do that too much. I, I'm just saying that round four is still a little early <laughs> to roll the dice for me. Not Not... Not much, but a little early. What if he has a really good spring? And everybody's talking about how good his back is. Uh, <laughs> it would probably change my opinion. It probably would. Okay. By the way, it was an, I think it was Australia Kershaw was flying back from. Not Japan. Whatever. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll figure that out later. An interesting pick from each of the first ten rounds. Mike Trout fell to number three overall. It wasn't my fault. We can talk about... Trout behind bets, but I think you wanted to talk about Scherzer number one overall. Sure, we could talk about Scherzer number one overall. He was the highest scoring player in this format last year. So there's your argument for taking him number one right there. I, the way our scoring works in head-to-head points leagues, there is an opportunity for the very best pitchers to outscore the very best hitters. I've always seen it as kind of like... Uh, the way quarterbacks work in our fantasy football scoring. I mean, the highest scoring players are pretty much all quarterbacks, right? But you don't take them number one overall. Right. It, because it's a little different because you only need one quarterback and there are 15 good quarterbacks every year. Right. And you need five. Like, what I thought of was, and I, I'm not taking a picture number one overall. Maybe it's just some problem. But the probably my, my best team last year was our head-to-head auction league. Where I just went bananas on three starting pitchers, and then just pieced together my lineup. I think that's easier to do in an auction because you have some control over the hitters that you get really cheap. Yeah, especially if it's an auction where you see the elite players going for huge price tags because you know there's going to be bargains later, ones that wouldn't be available to you in a draft. Right. Um, so it's more difficult to do here, but it. If his pitchers stay healthy, it, I think it has a very good chance of working out. And that's just... Uh, well, the Scherzer thing, yeah. I mean, the Scher- that's not going to be a pick that loses you the league. I I could never... Like, the earliest I think I could argue for taking Scherzer is uh, fourth. I would have to take Trout, uh, Betts, and even Jose Ramirez as little as he strikes out. Uh I, I would have to take them all over him, but you you could take Scherzer first here and, and absolutely win the league. Uh, I don't know if taking the pitcher heavy strategy as far as he did is something I could advise. Here here, here it is. I'm just going to give you his starting lineup. Did we say who he is, by the way? Andrew McClintock. Yeah, Andrew McClintock, and he has a starting rotation of Max Scherzer, Aaron Nola, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty. And Miles Miklas. Those were his first six picks. Five. First five picks. Okay. He also has Kenley Jansen and Rysel Iglesias as relievers. Now, this is what that does to your hitters. <laughs> Omar Narvez is his catcher. 
Miguel Cabrera is his first baseman. Jonathan VR is his second baseman in a points league. A. Eugenio Suarez is his third baseman, so he has a good third baseman. That's probably his best hitter, even though it wasn't the first hitter he drafted. Jerickson Profar is his shortstop. You like him. His outfield is Puig, Winker, and Piscotti. And he has Jed Lowry at utility. He has Darlin Castro, Max Kepler, and Domingo Santana on his bench. I would be drafting upside hitters for those three bench spots if I was going with this approach and just hoping one of them moved when I line up. I think you can find hitters like Castro, Kepler, and Santana on the waiver wire a lot of times. I mean, Castro, for sure, we know he's we know he's boring and doesn't have much upside. I, I don't know that Santana and Kepler aren't exciting, especially Kepler when you consider the format that values walks. But, um, yeah, I mean, there is, there is certainly... A path oh, for, for this yes. going right. Yeah, it's you, you're having to thread a needle, though. Um, I mean, who's to say Miguel Cabrera won't be a stud again? It's possible. It, it is, but there's a reason we're ranking him 16th at a weak position, you right? Know? Um, and it is easier to find hitters in the waiver wire that get oh, definitely, and turn and into studs. In this format especially, because yeah. lineups are so small, everybody's only starting nine hitters. Uh, there will be there won't really be pitching studs that emerge off the waiver wire, but there will be hitting studs that do. Um and you know, this may be the reverse of the that strategy I used to always take where you know, give yourself a lot of draft a lot of upside on your pitching staff and count rely on the waiver wire to help you fill it out and maybe you can do that with a lineup these days it just there's so many more spots to fill and and you have to it's not just this massive hitters like it is starting pitchers it's okay you have to fill the second base hole you have to fill the shortstop hole you have to fill the the first base hole and it to get that all right uh, it I kind of wish we were playing this out because I'd like to see the way this team turns out. Um, but my my hunch is it's not going to go so well. I mean, maybe maybe he could eke into the playoffs if he's aggressive on the waiver wire, but that's a big if. Let's move on to round two. I was the first person to take a first baseman at number 17 overall. That seems too late, but you definitely don't agree with Freeman over Goldschmidt, right? No, I'd rather have Goldschmidt. I, I can understand that. I prefer Freeman, but either way, I think a, I think both of them should be gone by 17 overall. Uh, Charlie, third round, Charlie Blackman fell to 27 overall, 11 picks after Ronald Acuna. Would you rather have Charlie Blackman at 27 overall or Ronald Acuna at 16 overall? I'd rather have Blackman, but I'm not the highest on Acuna. By any stretch, which I hate to argue against him because I think he's a young stud. I think he's great. He plays for my favorite team. He's the future of my favorite team. But some of these mock drafts, you see him going sixth overall. Um, obviously not this one. It was a points league. You know, that tends to happen more in roto leagues. But even in roto leagues, I, I think that's a mistake. I think it's counting too much on stolen base potential that I'm not confident will be realized and passing up 
hitters that are proven studs over more than just two months' time, which is kind of how Acuna put himself in this discussion. And I think like Charlie Blackman is coming off, a, I guess, a down year for him. But he hit 291 with 29 home runs and scored 119 runs, and he's still playing half of his games at Coors Field. I don't think he should fall out of the second round, even in a points league. Probably not. I, I mean, he's he's at an age where you could see him just losing it, and he did on defense last year, and sometimes that's a precursor for some of those other skills dropping off. Uh, he went, he became a, a horrible defender last year. That That's kind of how the, the downward spiral began for Andrew McCutcheon. Um, but he still plays in Colorado. It's a forgiving environment. You could still look at his bad at ball profile and say he had bad luck last year offensively. And despite that, he was still a stud. So, Carlos Martinez in round four went 46th overall, and there was quite a ruckus in the draft room after that happened. Does Sparp make that worth it to you, Scott? I know you're probably a little bit less enthusiastic about Martinez bouncing back from last year than I am. If he's what he's been in the past and he's a Sparp, he's worth 46 because he's worth that as a regular starting pitcher. Yeah, but there's durability questions there. Uh, the Cardinals have a lot of young pitchers they could mix in. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, he finished last season in the bullpen. I never thought that was going to be something that continued, but I, I just worry that he's going to be a surefire 180 innings type pitcher. If he is, he probably is the number one reliever, but I think there are enough, uh, standout closers that I would rather have instead. I mean, he has, over the last four, like last year was obviously the the outlier, but his durability concerns have been more like he has a hard time getting to 200 innings. In 2016, he threw 195 innings with a 3.04 ERA. 2017, 205 innings with a 3.64 ERA. He's been around a strikeout per inning the last two years. He he had a lot of control problems last year, and he's never been a great control pitcher. But I just I think if he's if he is what he was in 2015, 16, or 17, and even last year he finished the year the three one one ERA. I I think he's probably going to be a top twenty five starting pitcher regardless of sport. I'm trying to make sure I remember how it played out last year, but he hurt his lat, came back, hurt it again, went back on the DL, came back, hurt it again, went back on the DL. Came back and they said, "Forget this. You're just sticking in relief for the rest of the season." We'll, that, we'll... that is basically how I recall. Yeah. Um, but he hadn't had significant injury and in, injuries the three years before, and it's not like it was an elbow. I know, but when you're talking about passing up on studs, I, I mean, it could work out fine. It could work out fine. Again, it's it's kind of what I was saying about Carlos Correa, where. I, I think the quality of the players you're passing over for him makes the risk not worth the reward. And the pitchers taken right after Martinez, uh, Mikolas. Actually, it was three Cardinals in a row. Carlos Martinez and then Jack Flaherty went out with the, at the end of that run. Steven Strasburg right after Flaherty. 
You prefer all those guys to Martinez, even with him being a sport? I do. Uh, well, not Michaelis. Okay. Not Michaelis, but the others. Michaelis, yeah. Michaelis. Yeah. You could just say it the right way after I say it the wrong way instead of let me say it the wrong way five times. Matt Carpenter <laughs> went 60th overall. Nine picks after Don't Call Me Junior, Vladimir Guerrero. <laughs> you, you've made me aware that his name does not have a junior in it. Apparently not. According to baseball reference, he's just Vladimir Guerrero, as his dad was. But Vladimir the, Guerrero. The great part is you Full must, name. to find it easily, you enter junior in the search. Yeah. Even though it's not his name. So colloquially, he's known as Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but he's not actually. What, what did Matt Carpenter do to be going 60th overall? He had 160 in September. Oh, okay. Well, that should definitely override his <laughs> full season's worth of production. When the full season's worth of production has been the outlier... Um, well, the 160 is the outlier. Okay. But his power production is all around production in terms of how impactful he was in fantasy. We kept waiting for the big, the big, uh, power to show up. And it finally did for about three months in the middle of last season. Uh, the bat ball profile suggested that's who he should have been all along. Uh, a lot of us were buying into it, celebrating. And then he ends on that note. It, it, it's hard to know what to make of it. And what makes it, what makes it easy for me to pass up on him, even if you want to say, okay, ignore all the noise of the past few years and especially September. Those three months are really who he is. He's also a 33-year-old with, you know, part of the reason we feel like he got sidetracked in the past was injuries. Those are only going to be become more common, especially now that they have Goldschmidt and first base isn't even an option for him. He's going to be stretched at third base. So I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable with him. Yeah, I would take him. I, I wish him going there almost made me wish I hadn't taken a first baseman where I did. Because I would rather have Matt Carpenter in the fifth round than Freddie Freeman in the second round. I just think, like, he last year was amazing for the full sample of the season. 111 runs, 36 home runs, walked 100 times for the second year in a row, has at least 80 walks each of the last five years. And this has traditionally been his best format. Because he's an on-base monster. And I, I don't see... I don't, September, one month of hitting 160? It was 170, to clarify. <laughs> and it was after four good months as opposed to three. So just want to... Now that I've had a chance to look it up while you were talking, just fine-tune my argument a little there. But yeah, that I mean, it, it, it comes down to... Okay, so we're talking round five or round four? The last pick of round five. Round five. That's a little on the late side. I would I would think about taking him then. I probably I think I was to thinking about taking him. He then, went back actually. to back with Cody Bellinger. Um, he was taking, but any earlier than that, it. You know, a, a theme to this podcast seems to be you are much more willing to roll the dice on upside in the early rounds than I am. I feel like there's so much inherent upside at that stage of the draft. There's no reason to roll the dice if you don't have to. Well, I think that is Vladimir Guerrero is going to be a great baseball player in the future. We can agree on that. 
I don't. He is not safe in 2019. Uh, that's fair. Wait, I don't see a reason to believe he is going to score more fantasy points than Matt Carpenter this year. To to be honest, I forgot this was a relative argument, Carpenter or Guerrero. <laughs> um, and I probably would take Carpenter too. But I have never felt as confident in a hitting prospect as I do Vladimir Guerrero. I think it's mostly just a matter of when he gets called up. And if he doesn't get called up in mid-April, uh, I, I don't know what the Blue Jays are doing because there's no way they're going to leave him down for a full season again. We're up to round six, and we're going to move a little bit quicker through these so we can get to our riffing on players. Jamison Tyone and Jose Barrios went back-to-back in round six, and I think that should be a new rule. Anytime Jose Barrios or Jamison Tyone is picked, the next pick needs to be the other one. Okay. Fair. Round seven, we're going to spend just a little bit more time on because I thought like the second half of round seven was almost entirely fascinating. You took Daniel Murphy with the seventh pick of round seven. I took Michael Brantley with the eighth pick of round seven. Then Ad- Adalberto Mondesi, which is a terribly difficult person to figure out in a points league. Then Corey Seager, who we've already kind of talked about. Yep. Then Chris Archer. And then Lorenzo Cain. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about this is when I noticed Seager was still on the board and I was kicking myself for Manny Machado, having taken him in round two instead of Goldschmidt, uh, I had determined that if Seager made it back to me in round eight, I was just going to take him as my utility player because I thought that was way too long for him to be there. Uh, but I was happy to get Daniel Murphy in, in here in round seven, especially in this format where, you know, He's saving you a lot of points by not striking out. Um, obviously, this is a point in the draft when I am willing to take on some risk for upside because Murphy, of course, big injury risk. But I think his upside in Colorado is... I mean, I, I think it, saying it's MVP level is underselling it because he was already an MVP level performer in Washington. It's a a guy whose swing is perfectly geared for competing for batting titles. Harley ever strikes out, hits a ton of line drives, hits it to all fields, etc. is going to the biggest BABIP inflating environment in baseball. I mean, I, I would never project anybody for a 360 average, but it, it's not a crazy, it, it's not crazy to envision him hitting like 360 there. Yeah. I, I have mixed feelings on Murphy at this point. I, See every bit of the upside you do, though, and I think that this is a fine place to take him. The only thing I wonder is, is was that pick at all about position? Because a couple rounds later, you took what I thought was one of the best picks of the draft, and he's also eligible at the same position that Daniel Murphy is. Travis Shaw. Yes. Yeah. So what happened, and I, I, I like these two hitter skills um i i think they will be productive on a per game basis i just worry about the missing time daniel murphy being one in the very next round round eight i took justin turner i think they're both studs at their position when they're healthy but you can't count on good health from either of them given their age and, and their history so travis shaw just seemed like a perfect utility option for me pretty good hitter in his own right will hold his own in utility Eligible at second and third base, could plug him into either spot if I lose one of those guys. I think he might be a top five second baseman this year, and he was pretty close to that last year. 
I don't like him as much as you do. But I just thought he was perfectly suited for my team given the the risks I had taken. He was yet another player who I waited too long. I took Roberto Ozuna in round eight, and I should have just taken Travis Shaw there, and I would like my team more than I do right now. But let's talk about round eight. Just a nitpick thing here. Jimmy Nelson, we talked about the Brewers pitching staff off air a little bit earlier. He is their only pitcher that we feel confident is going to be in the rotation and could be good. Um, he was taken at pick 86. Yeah. He, was... he, he was taken ahead of Masahiro Tanaka, Jay Happ, Robbie Ray. There, no way I'm taking him. Any, I'm not going to have any Jimmy Nelson at all if I have to take him in the eighth round. <laughs> yeah, if he's going there. No, that, that seemed wildly optimistic. I, I think I, he has upside to justify that. But yeah, I mean, that's basically who he, he was performing at that level two years ago before tearing the labrum in his shoulder. <laughs> you know, this is... Right. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, it, that's the same classification of injury that Michael Pineda had early in his career and was never the same. Now, it's the tear wasn't that bad, so there's some optimism Nelson can make a full recovery. But I'd put I'd put the odds of a full recovery at less than fifty fifty. Yeah, I mean you're hoping he recovers to a point that he's still striking out a batter per inning, and I imagine they'll still lean pretty heavily on him in terms of how many innings he goes. But um, I I could see more like a Rick Porcello type outcome than, uh, which would still make him a useful pitcher, but not somebody you're taking here. Okay, so we got about 10 minutes left. Round 10 is just a quick discussion about where catchers went. I am scared of Wilson Contreras in a points league when he's going a round ahead of Wilson Ramos, two rounds ahead of Salvador Perez, and three rounds ahead of Yasmani Grandal and Buster Posey. I would much rather have any of those other guys at that value. I mean, Contreras was still pretty productive last year, despite what seems like some horrible luck in terms of how many batted balls we're leaving the park. Right. Uh, same batted ball profile as always, but the home run output just was ruined. And he was still, you know, pretty productive. He may have more upside than all those guys. I don't think the most likely scenario has him being that much better than those guys. I I think the one that really stands out for me is Yasmani Grandal, yeah. who... That, that was one of the biggest separations, and I have them. I have Wilson Contreras third in my rankings, is Grandal fourth. So at most, I'm talking a rounds difference for the two. Um, a, a big key will be if Contreras gets 500 plate appearances again next year. That that helps a lot. I don't know why he won it, right? Bar you know, barring injury or a prolonged slump, and the Cubs just being the Cubs. Yeah, but who else? Who else are they going to put there? Yeah, that's that's fair. Okay, so real quick on runs and whip. If I say something you don't agree with, Scott, just step right in. Fun fact, 19 players scored 100 runs last year. 17 of them, 17 of the 19, Scott, this is a trivia question, had a walk rate of at least 8%. There were two hitters that scored a run, scored 100 runs, and had a walk rate lower than that. Any guess who they are? It's Ozzy Albies and Javier Baez. You didn't even let me guess. 17 <laughs> of them had a strikeout rate below 25%. You know who the two struck out more than that? 
Ozzy Albies and Javier Baez. Javier Baez and Giancarlo Stanton. Okay. So I, and that was just kind of like a big part of scoring runs is yes, hitting the top of the order of a good offense. But if you can walk a lot and not strike out much, you're probably going to score a lot of runs too. Oh, especially the walk. Yeah. Right? I mean, how closely runs is tied to walks is, I think that's a pretty strong correlation. My sleeper for the category is just kind of a sleeper overall because he's not, his current consensus ranking is not drafted. And I do think he's going to get a chance to lead off if he could just stay healthy again. Kevin Kiermeyer. My breakout, I'm starting to kind of love Scott and it's Malik Smith in terms of runs. If you look at his splits from last year in Tampa Bay, when he led off, he was great. He was like a third round hitter. He's really good. Yeah. 95 runs, 57 stolen bases on a 290 average. So I, I think he could do really big things. My bust is Ozzy Albies. I was a little bit worried about him before the talk about the lineup. He was dreadful in the second half. But if he's hitting 6th, 7th, or 8th, he's probably going to score 70 runs instead of 100. Yeah, I mean, I would guess he'd hit more like 6th than 8th. Um, and I also am skeptical it would... The Braves are just going to stick with that lineup all season long. Well, it will depend on whether Albies acts like, like he, it, I think he has more upside as a hitter than Enciarte or Nick Marquez. Oh, but, for sure. But there is a 35, 40% chance he's worse than them again. It, in whip, the only question I really had for you on that is what's your ideal starter to reliever ratio in Roto? Is it 6-3 still? Yeah, it's still that. So it's still 6-3. Um, it's leaning a little more toward 5-4. Yeah. I, I like not, no, but that, that's partially because I feel like that third closer might have to be divided between two guys. I think it's either that or it's because you've got a couple of middle relievers and two closers. And then if I get to June and it looks like I need some, wins or some strikeouts i can kind of do a little two-start streaming my sleeper for whip you say kikuchi my breakout nick pavetta he just please have a little bit of good luck and maybe don't give up so much hard contact and the bust is julio Tehran. i don't really think he should be drafted riffing on players this is mostly you scott andrew asks how much regression should we expect from blake snell i think you should expect as much as a him a run more on his ERA, but that would still be a high two ZRA, right. and he would still be an ace. And yeah, there it's it's hard it's hard for me to have too many concerns about Blake Snell. Yasiel Puig, how many plate appearances in Cincinnati? I'm just going to offer that I think there may not be enough hype about Yasiel Puig right now. Okay, I mean that's. Maybe. I mean, obviously, it's a great park he's going to. He's no longer going to be buried in the batting order like he was last couple years with the Dodgers when he kind of rebounded. Um, and it, you know, it, it didn't show up as much as it should because he was so low in the lineup. So I, I could totally see him having like a 30 home or 20 steal season. Um, but at the same time, he's also Yasiel Puig and does, knuckleheaded things and doesn't always ingratiate himself to coaching staffs and teammates and they have jesse winker who they're trying to find at bats for so i i'm not going all in on him miles michaelis what about him 
just talk riff about on him. him. <laughs> Why do you hate him? I'm a little. I'm always going to be distrustful of the guy who strikes out six batters per nine innings in today's environment. He's obviously a, a very good ground ball pitcher, not like Dallas Keuchel level, but good and an elite a control good, pitcher. Good control pitcher. Um, so he's going to, you know, two of the three legs of the fifth triangle. He's winning on, but he's losing significantly on the third. And um, you know, I have him ranked with guys who are in a similar boat. I feel like like Rick Porcello. Yeah, I think he's much, much, much better pitcher than. Like, <laughs> I have him ahead of Rick Porcello. Much better pitcher than Rick Porcello in the same range. Rick Porcello should be his opener and just throw one inning. Uh Tristan says Tommy Pham. I know you love some Tommy Pham. Yeah, look what he did when he joined the Rays last year. He became a monster again, uh, and it wasn't always it wasn't totally clear to me what went wrong for him in St. Louis because a lot of the batted ball tendencies were the same. I feel like he was unhappy there. I, I feel clearly like the maybe he didn't ingratiate himself to the Cardinals coaching staff because he started to lose playing time there at some point. Um, he, there was some mechanical stuff he talked about going on early in the. Basically, I I feel like the true version of Fam is the the Rays one is is closer to that than the Cardinals one. We did it, Fam. Joey says, "A Eugenio Suarez." His second half was notably worse than his first, and I, I think maybe the first half was a little too good to be true. But the overall production is probably a good indication of who he is, and that's how most people are like assessing him now. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Except, you know, he's still in the prime of his career, Suarez, and not a known injury risk. And so, he's uh, not been an elite hitter for six years like Carpenter. I think I'm going to have a lot of shares to Suarez because I don't think he's significantly worse than Carpenter or Bryant, but he's going to go three, four rounds later. Uh, Chris Towers, he's not here today. He will be back next week as well, I think, has compared Suarez to Justin Smoke with the three good so, months. So not a fan. Not a fan at all. I'm somewhere in the middle of you two. I probably won't have any Suarez because most of my drafts involve Scott White. I mean, this didn't come out of nowhere. He was pretty good two years ago, too. He, Yeah, yeah. he had an 828 OPS two years ago. I think that's reasonable. He could be a low 800s guy, hit 25 home runs. And the last one, Martin wants to know about Jack Flaherty, who I love. Yeah, he's just one of my breakouts. He... um he he and Walker Bueller were neck and neck there for a while until Flaherty kind of faded at the end of the year. Uh, but it looked like the Cardinals, when he had starts where he wasn't walking too many batters, the Cardinals were letting him pitch deep into games, which is part of the evaluation I feel like with young pitchers now is, is this guy somebody who could go six or seven or are they always going to remove him after five like a Lance McCullers, you know? Um, Flaherty seems to be the former, which is great for his upside. Just needs to get the walks under control. Yeah, if he gets those walks under three per nine, I think he can make a jump into the top 12 starting pitchers this year. I, I think it's possible. It's just that there's a few guys to leapfrog there, but he'll be in that discussion, yeah. That's going to do it for the last Fantasy Baseball podcast and hopefully a very long time without Adam Azer. We'll talk to you next week, and Adam will be there.